Take two. First time the comments were turned off. I'm not sure why. I think it has something to do with the fact that I maybe by accidentally clicked on the appropriate for people under 18. And I think that they remove live chats on YouTube for people under age 18. Maybe that's because people swear online or something. I don't know. I think that's going to fix it. So someone jump in the comments and let me know if there is actually a live chat. Um, hopefully there is this time. On the previous video, we had it going, but there was not a live chat. So today we're gonna to talk about what ways for investing. What are the different ways you can invest and what are the different ways that as an investor, you can decide on what you should be. Oh, there we go. People are getting in. Hey, William. Hey, Gary. Looks like people AM is in as well. Looks like it is working now. But we're talking about today, what do you invest in for 2021? And so hopefully your questions will fuel me down a path that get us to some sort of answer. So you can say, hey, this is what I'm gonna do for 2021. When you're setting your goals on December 31st, January 1st on New Year's, you're like, hey, these are the things I wanna crush. In 2021, you can build your plan around asset classes that make sense. So which asset classes make sense? And I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict you know, with any absolute certainty, but let's talk about where we are right now and then kind of get from there to talking about you know, stocks, lending, buying businesses, investing in publicly traded companies, um, bonds, et cetera, so forth, and everything in between from probably a little touch on cryptocurrency to you know commodities and gold and silver. So uh, how do you meet with people at a much higher level than you? Caleb, you offer value in some way to want them to talk to you. So you gotta find a way to connect and add value. That's the biggest thing you can do. Uh, the other thing would be you wanna look and say, okay, what are they looking for in like a mentee or someone that could provide some value? That's how you, basically that's how you get into the room with them, right? Is you provide them some value. If you don't, people who are at a, well, it depends on what level you're at, I guess. At my stage in the game, to get a meeting with someone who's at the next level, that can be a tough challenge, right? I have to bring some major value to the table to really have a you know conversation with them. So it depends on where you're at in your journey, right? If you're just got one rental property, you could talk to someone who's got five, properties, or let's say you've got a couple hundred thousand to invest and you find someone who's got a million bucks. That's not a big jump. They're probably just an average person, like your your neighbor next door. So that's not a big deal. You probably just take them to lunch and you know, if you pay for their lunch, they'd probably talk to you and connect with you. Um, good question. But yeah, talking about asset classes, I think for 2021, we're looking at an interesting environment where the government right now, and I've been sharing this on my Instagram, if you've been following on my daily stories, I've been sharing pictures of the US Fed uh, money supply and the Canadian money supply and a bit of the interest rate stuff and how that's correlating to the entire economy, right? So what we're seeing is the GDP is not growing in the same way. And by the way, happy, merry, happy holidays, merry Christmas, uh, the next two days. So it is Christmas Eve tomorrow. I'm live every Wednesday, no matter what day it is, whether it's how Christmas day, I would go live. That's just who I am. I think we actually did I wanna say a year or two ago, I went live on like Christmas or Boxing Day, I can't remember, but anyway, rain or shine or whatever, I'm always live. I never uh, shy away from a, a live event to, to bring back some value. And if you guys have any questions, shoot them in the comments and let me know, um, you know, whatever you guys are thinking, happy to chat about it. But uh, you know, when we're talking about different asset classes, you gotta remember that what might be right for me might not be right for you. So as an example, let's say three years ago, Mike, was all about buying property that needed a ton of work. It didn't matter the area, didn't matter the amount of work that it needed. I would just take on that kind of project. And the me today 
would say a 70% return on investment or 100% return on investment isn't worth all that stress. I'd rather have a 25% return on investment and have no stress, like have a turnkey, not turnkey, but like a lot less um, value that I have to add to the property. So that's something that like within real estate as an asset class, you might decide, hey, I don't even wanna be a, a landlord in this current environment. And by the way, there are a lot of factors right now in 2021 that are pushing landlords out. The landlord tenant board is written in a way, and especially with COVID, we've gotten a lot of fuel. Um, so the RTA, which is the Residential Tenancy Act, is currently written to favor tenants. It's very hard for landlords to evict um, tenants. It's very hard for landlords to raise rents. It's very hard for landlords to really have any right at all. It's the only business in, in Canada where you can't fire your customer. Your customer could punch you in the face and spit in your mouth. I actually know a guy, a property manager, who had a tenant spit in his mouth and be like, and throw the rent at him and be like, I'll see you next month. And like, he's like, I, I pissed on the rent. Like crazy things I've heard tenants do and landlords legally can't fire the tenant. Like yeah, a tenant has to do a lot of things wrong repeatedly for like a year before they can be evicted, right? And they have a chance to, to fix their behavior after they, go to the, uh, after they go to court, to go to the tribunal. So it's a very tough environment to be in as a landlord. Uh, so that's something to think about. I mean, maybe it's an asset class that makes sense after the end of our conversation today when we talk about hyperinflation and we talk about um, what could happen with all the money they're printing. Now, I think that my general thesis, and I could be wrong, it's forever updating and forever uh, changing as I get new information. And maybe you guys know things that I don't, so share, share with the group. But uh, I, I think they're printing, I heard a stat, interestingly, when you're looking, they printed 30% of all the money that's ever been printed was printed in the last eight or nine months. A third of all the money supply was just created now. GDP is down. Our economy is sinking. And yet they're printing money like you wouldn't believe and they're giving it away. And what does that do? It devalues the currency. Now, if everyone prints at the same rate, in theory, it shouldn't have a major effect because all the currencies will float together. But if one nation prints or I guess doesn't deal with COVID as another, and then prints a ton of money to support its, its populace, that's going to have negative effects for trade. It's going to have negative effects for uh, the stable stability of the currency, right? And so it may not be a big deal. If everyone prints money together, I mean, really we're just gonna have a bit of inflation. Like if you gave everyone right now a million dollars, if you give every single person in all the United States and Canada a million dollars, a million dollars means nothing because everyone has a million dollars. What happens? The value of money drops. When you give money away, money is just a, 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 what we have agreed on as an exchange of value. So it used to be that I would trade you this chair for like your iPad. And we would just, I have to find someone. If I want an iPad, I have to find someone who wanted this chair. And now we're like, we have a means of exchange. We can basically just trade currency for chair, take the money and buy the iPad because everyone wants the money. However, if you give everyone a whole bunch of money all the stuff doesn't change in its availability. The inventory stays the same, right? Um, it's one of those things where, it's like what's happening in the, in the housing market right now. Here in London, we've seen 25, 30% appreciation. And part of that is fueled by low interest rates and excess money supply. There's other things at play that are boosting the real estate market, but that's one, one piece behind the current growth we're seeing despite bad, you know, we have bad job outlook numbers. We have bad overall growth. A lot of businesses and small businesses are failing right now. The last year has been terrible for a lot of small businesses. And we've got to balance that all out and say, hey, what asset classes make the most sense to invest in? And it depends again on your thesis for, 
or your, I guess your prediction for how things are going to recover going forward. Is there going to be a vaccine that returns everything back to complete norm normalcy? Like would the tourism industry recover fully? Will restaurants recover fully? Um, I think there's a lot of pent up demand. I think there's a lot of people want to travel right now, but they can't. People want to go out and eat at restaurants, but they, they can't because we're going to lockdown. So there is going to be a lot of that pent up demand, I think, for those restaurants and those tourism businesses that can survive. Um, for those who have you know, pivoted away from Airbnb, I think once things are fully opened again, those units that stayed furnished, that weathered the storm will do well, uh, as an example, right? But when we're talking about asset classes, I feel like the government, and then when we think this through, what's the government going to do if we go into a hyperinflation environment where basically anyone who got a salaried job is screwed. If you make 50 grand a year, you're on a salary and you get 2% raise every single year and they print a whole bunch of money, which is what they've done, and they give away to all the businesses and give it away to all the people on CERB, right? This the economic relief benefit. And they, they just start handing money out. Hopefully it, it boosts the economy, which we're not seeing to the extent that we had hoped, right? Um, but when you print all this money, what ends up happening is if it doesn't make its way back into growing the economy, proportional to the amount they've printed, which it isn't because they're just giving it away, um, what you end up finding is that the value of the dollar isn't as much. So if everyone has $1,000, $1,000 means nothing. It's, that's just how it works. If you give everyone a whole bunch of money, it's not valuable. The value is in the fact that it's scarce. If you just print an unlimited amount of it, then a dollar is worth nothing. The government will just print their way out of debt. It doesn't work that way. You can't print your way out of debt that you owe to other countries, right? Uh, your currency would just go lower in value. What should happen is there should be a bit of a correction in the value of the dollar, which we've already seen a little bit of, but I think that, uh, I don't know, one, one thing that might happen is interest rates might rise. We might see it where the government can't keep interest rates this low. They have to raise them up a little bit in order to stave off a hyperinflation type of event, right? So outside of that, or, or stop printing so much money. It's, I don't know. Any, any economists on here want to weigh in and, and how this kind of plays out and what we're supposed to do here? I think it's possible that if the economy doesn't pick up, they'd be forced from economic pressures to lower interest rates even further. In fact, like we might be in a situation where you get paid to hold on to the money. So then crypto would obviously do well. Gold and silver would do well. Uh, land, of course, would do well. It's a great store of value. I like land a lot better than I like gold and silver and a lot better than I like um, crypto, to be honest. I think cryptocurrency can be a small percentage of your portfolio. Play with it, have some fun. I think it's starting to really pick up some momentum by the major institutions that it didn't have before, and so it's, it's cool. But the only play with crypto is the greater fool strategy. You've got to trick someone else into buying it for more than you bought it for. So that's the idea. And the problem is they can just make a new cryptocurrency that's got better technology. Five years from now, they might say, hey, like look at MySpace or whatever. Like the greatest technological advancements in the past they just die off, right? Someone comes up with a better, some smart kid comes up with a better way, a faster way, and a new cryptocurrency that's better. All of a sudden, the other one's worth nothing. It's obsolete. That's the problem with tech, and that's what scares me with tech. And because there's so many different types of cryptocurrencies, I'm not sure which one to bet on. I like the tech, I like the space. Maybe buying an ETF that is you know, sort of focused against the technology. Like blockchain is smart. I think credit card companies will, we're already seeing, are buying and integrating that technology into the way that they do business, right? And I think that that's gonna become part of major institutional um, private private and public banking. So it's, it's going to be affecting everything for a long time. But the thing with land, land as an example, is a great store of value. So long as Canada is a good place to live, only a piece of land, no matter what the currency does, if the currency you know, halves, we go through hyperinflation and it halves, 
your land's just, instead of being worth a million bucks, worth two million bucks. Like it just, the land floats with the currency. So you're, you're, if you're in assets that are gonna float with the value of the currency, you're okay. So for 2021, I'm recommending, that's what I'm recommending. Um, that said, I also plan to have about a quarter of my net worth in lending. And why do I have that? I want it secured against real estate and I want a passive stream of cash flow, right? Because owning land can create cash flow, but land by itself without building on it does not produce cash flow. So a big thing to think about is, you know, and you could buy just like a small rental property, as an example. You buy a $200,000 house, and now you've got a piece of land that's gonna appreciate in value, and you've got a building that has inherent value, regardless of what the currencies do. You have a place you can house people. And not only that, but unlike gold, silver, cryptocurrency, you can actually take that asset and lend it out and make money on it. Now you can do this with crypto. You, you can provide liquidity um, and basically use your, your current wallet of crypto for liquidity and, and make a little bit of money. But I prefer, I prefer leverage on real estate, it's my personal preference, to take real estate and rent it out and be cash flow positive. So now I have all that appreciation. If the market goes in hyperinflation, I've got that going on in my real estate portfolio. If it's a stock as well, same thing. If you know the, the currency is going crazy, I and I'm playing to spend in Canadian currency, I'd invest in Canadian companies. And those Canadian companies would pay Canadian dividends. And if the we go through hyperinflation, I'm invested in let me pick a random company, Subway. So Subway, I had Subway the other day. So let's say I was invested in the stock of Subway. What would happen if we go through hyperinflation? Well, Subway is going to experience an increase in costs, right? Because hyperinflation, the cost of their meat, their bread, whatever is going to go up in value. Uh, go up in, not in value, it's going to go up in price, but it won't be going up in value. It'll just be more dollars. They need more of these to buy the same thing. So they're just going to increase their price of their sub. And the profit will be the same for the investor. So if I own shares in Subway, I'm cool. If we go through some inflation, it's not a huge deal. Um, I'm, I'm prepared for that. Where it's an issue, and again, I think the government would step in before we saw major hyperinflation. So I think it's not possible to, to go through a major amount, but I mean, anything's possible. But I think the government's gonna have to step in and probably raise interest rates. Um, there are some other things they can use up their sleeve to kind of fight off. And I'm curious what other people think, if anyone has any thoughts. Um, talk to Wharton BBA friend. He said there's almost no way travel doesn't rebound next summer and that the rest of the economy should follow. That's been the general consensus of what I've been reading from economists as well um, on the internet is that there's this hunger. And like, I even feel it myself. Like I wish I, I want to be in Costa Rica right now renting a house or in Arizona or in Florida. Like that's where I want to be right now, but I can't because we're going into lockdown. Um, so my, my kids can't go to school right now until they're talking like February 1st now for like the, towards the end of January before the kids even go back to school. And I'm stuck, can't even go anywhere. Uh, we're in a lockdown, right? So it's it's a bummer. Like there's a lot of people who want to travel right now. And that industry will pick back up. Again, dependent on the fact that there isn't another COVID strain. We were talking about a COVID strain uh, in the UK right now that's much more deadly and more contagious. And it's a different strain that may or may not be protected by the vaccine. It's possible that we enter a situation where there's another round, another year, right? And the way we've been reacting to these viruses, I think is over-dramatized and there's more death and more destruction and just more pain all around by locking down than just letting things be as they would. And what happens in real life, like we actually have less people dying now than ever before. In 2019 and 2018 and 2017, elderly and at-risk people died. They died of the flu, they died of pneumonia, whatever, they just died. That, that's life. When you get old, you get sick and something eventually kills you. That's just, like when I get to 100, Hopefully I'll have new organs regrown for me because I think we're going to be able to live forever by the time I get there. But 
Um, <laughs> that's just a, a side thing I'm going to pocket. But, you know, I, I just think it's it's not right to force people into depression and suicide and you know, people losing their jobs. It's just it's a tough time right now. And I think these lockdowns are doing more damage than the people it's, it might even be saving. I don't know. I'm torn on that one. I, I hear both sides of the coin. I think that there'd be a nice, if we could set up, like it'd be a lot cheaper than, than setting up CERB if we left the economy open and set up treatment centers, like basically hospitals for people with COVID. So the actual hospitals were COVID free. So you could go in for a hip replacement or a heart checkup or a cancer checkup and not be worried you're going to get COVID. Right now, people are afraid to go for diagnostic screening. People are dying. Um, so it's, it's actually killing people of cancer, of heart uh, disease, of all these other things who are going in for, I know someone went for a kidney transplant and died of COVID in the hospital. And they were just there for a surgery. They didn't even have COVID when they went in. So it's one of those things where it's just it's wild where, and this was an elderly person that, you know, they're high at risk. But it's just one of those things where it's killing a lot of people. And, um, you know, I, it's a good question. Nish just jumped in. Hey, Nish, how you doing, man? I'm, I'm kind of cheating by going to your question before other ones, but I think it's relevant to what I'm talking about. So I'm going to jump into it. I feel like we measured the inflation based on asset inflation. Aren't we high? If we measured it in that way, are we not already in hyperinflation? 25% year-over-year increase in Ottawa and other regions. Very true. Um, yeah, I think that uh, that's fair. If you look at certain... Um, and there's a reason there's a consumer price index that brings in all of the goods and services that we sort of look at. And by the way, this is a slanted, narrow approach to look at inflation, but it's the one that the government chooses to look at. And they pick all the goods and services and they average everything out. So as an example, technology for what you are buying, like if you look at like a, a stick of RAM or whatever, like a phone or a computer, the same computing power has gotten exponentially cheaper over time. So technology is getting cheaper as time goes on. Certain things are actually getting cheaper uh, over time. So it depends on what you're looking at. Houses, as an example, in certain areas have appreciated crazy amounts. You go look in um, like Winnipeg and Manitoba, prices are flat. So there are regions in Canada right now where there's zero appreciation. So if it was just the Canadian currency, we would see places like Winnipeg, places like, you know, Brandon, random country, or random um, cities across Canada all appreciating together. So you know it's for sure not just the currency at play here. Um, it also is other market factors, right? It's the fact that there is pent up demand, there is an excess amount of capital. There isn't capital in those random places like Winnipeg, where market isn't appreciating, nor, like, insane without East, same thing. Um, it's... There's no appreciation at all in those areas. And so it depends on where you live. Like again, Ottawa, London, Toronto, we've seen lots of appreciation and growth here, but there are places out East where there's been no appreciation, right? So it just depends on where you're looking. Um, but yeah, there's certain areas that are more desirable and those areas have appreciated at such a rate that the average person is being costed out. Um, it's getting to a point where they can't afford to buy a house, right? Like a million dollars used to go so far in London, Ontario. A million bucks used to get you almost like a little little mansion. And now a million bucks gets you like, like a house that I have. It's like a, a little bit above average, you know? Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, that is a good point though about housing prices. I think that the property taxes haven't changed all that much on houses over the last five years. Utility rates haven't changed that much a little bit. Internet rates haven't changed much. Cell phone plans have gone down. Internet plans have gone down. Food costs are relatively the same. Um, in fact, some things I'm buying right now are cheaper. Um, if you're invested in real estate like I was though, and that was the asset class you chose, you, you, you did very, very well um, the last few years. So I've been blessed in that sense. I guess relative to my net worth, it's been pretty fortunate, right? That, uh, that I levered up so heavily in something like real estate, right? But you're right, there, certain asset classes have, have seen uh, 
I've seen major appreciation, right? And it's, it's true. Housing is obviously rents have gone way up a big catalyst for rents having gone up, which then also pushed housing prices up. We're all the advocates for minimum wage. If you guys remember, this is maybe like two in 2016, I wrote a post on Facebook about it and people were coming out and like, I had a lot of social justice warriors on my Facebook page. And I used to be big on Facebook. I would always be posting and have these nasty long comment battles. That's where I started pouring in time before YouTube and, and Instagram. But uh, people come on there and they'd be like, people deserve a living wage. Like, how dare you say minimum wage? Like minimum wage was proposed to go to $15 an hour and it was at nine at the time, nine, 10 bucks maybe. And I was proposing that that is stupid and will do nothing for the people that are on minimum wage. It will actually make life worse for them. And I claimed in my post that rents would, within a year of raising minimum wage from 10 to 14, I think it was a 40% increase or something, that rents would go up 30 to 40%. And they did exactly proportional to minimum wage going up. The rents skyrocketed. And as soon as rents go up, house prices go up because rent is a, uh, well, basically rents are only what the market will bear, right? So rent is a relation to the income of the average renter, right? And then house prices are correlated exactly to rental income. Most of the people buying and selling houses are looking for rental properties, right? And so that, that's how it works. Cap rates are the price basically divided by the net operating income. And so now operating income is driven exactly by the profit from rental properties. And so if rents go up 30%, profit goes up 30%, the price of the buildings goes up 30%. Uh, so what we found is that if you look at the data of people who are actually for the minimum wage increases, what ends up happening is their rents end up going up the same amount as their, and the food, and the, like the subway, the $5 foot long disappeared shortly after that, went to like the $7 foot long or $8 foot long. We saw everything rise proportional to the raise in minimum wage. It actually didn't help anyone. All it did was create inflation, uh, basically of all the goods and services. Uh, so that's a, actually a big driver of uh, inflation. And have you ever noticed that like the $100 bills and the $50 bills, Canadians smell a little bit like maple syrup. Even the 20s, this one's been next to a bunch of hundreds. You can still smell it. Kind of a weird thing with the new Canadian $100 bills, they smell like maple syrup. I don't know if that's like a, is that true? Is that a thing? Google that? Or is that just like in my head and other people I've talked to have said the same thing? Uh, random, random aside. But anyway, let's keep going and we'll talk a little bit more about this. I don't have a lot of data in front of me. This is just, again, a lot of speculative stuff that I'm talking about here, but let's talk this out together. It's what, it's what this show's about. Uh, hey Mike, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Cindy says hi. Hey, how you doing? Shaylin says Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and your family. Oh, thank you. Mike, my question tonight is how you set goals for the next year. I'm actually making a spreadsheet now after hearing you talk about the last couple of years. Harvard study shows that MBAs did much better and felt more empowered to do and forces you to think. Yeah, so that's true. Um, what isn't measured isn't made. And what isn't set as a goal doesn't get accomplished. That's just a fact. People who set goals and make it a priority and think of revisit that goal on a weekly or daily basis or at least monthly basis, quarterly basis, some sort of, you know, regular cadence of a review, they tend to do much better uh, towards that goal. So basically you're forcing your brain to think about how to solve the problems, which will get you towards that goal. And so just by thinking about something, you will be more, yeah, it's a great quote. I used to say that all the time on the channel. If you, the quote is from Chris here. If you plan to fail, you're, what is it? I'll read it for you. You said, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. Yeah, that's the quote. There's a sweet scent created with the combinations of ink and polymer substrate use. 
not intended to smell like anything in particular from what I hear. <laughs> I think uh, I think that's from an expert source right there. Who cares? It's not that good. Five cents per pound. My vehicle just went to up twenty five percent. Yeah, fair enough. So it depends on I guess how you. Rents are, are static if you're living in your place already. So one point is when you're talking about like rising costs, some people already have apartments and they're locked in and here in Ontario, you can't raise the rent. So it doesn't matter if inflation goes up 20%, like people's rent prices wouldn't change much. So I don't know if, um, it doesn't affect everyone in the economy the same way. It affects certain people who are more highly exposed than others. Um, it's something to think about. I don't think that we'll go through a major inflation. I think that the government will stand in and stop it. They don't want the value of the currency being um, stabilized, right? They just, it's not good for trade. It's not good for anything. Um, I don't know. They can't afford to rise interest rates too hard. And they've committed already to keeping, to keeping interest rates low in 2021. So I don't know how they're going to stave off inflation. Entrepreneurs and you know small business owners, and even real estate investors are, again, we come in with a problem. And let's say it's like the problem is that you know, it's harder to be a landlord. What do we do? We raise rents to as high as the market will bear to compensate for the fact that we're dealing with extra damages and whatever. So like the, usually the entrepreneurs in an economy, if they find that their material costs are going up, they're just going to charge the customer more, right? So then the customer will pay for it. I don't know, or the industry will die. If the market won't bear $10 subs, if no one wants to pay 10 bucks for a sub, then subway goes bankrupt, right? Um, I don't know. I feel like if all the costs are rising everywhere, people will just accept it as a new norm. As a random example, um, cars have gone up in value too over COVID. They've been, that's just a supply and demand thing though, I think. Um, yeah, I'll keep going with the questions and I'll get down to those ones at the bottom in a bit. Excited to see your future videos on stocks and options. Yes, it's coming. I take the stock hacking uh, module and really get deep into it. I'll be sharing how that'll be going and I'll, I'll share with you guys how my portfolio changes over the year and yeah, we'll see. Uh, but again, back to setting goals for William's question. Um, I, how I set goals is I sit down with a journal and I write down all the things that I'm currently struggling with, all the things that I think I did well this year and all the places and things that I want to do in the following five years. I write down like trips I want to take, you know, things I want to do, whatever I want to accomplish. And then I'll highlight and select the things I think are priorities for the next year. And then I'll work backwards from that. So if one of the goals is say, get a mansion, you know, or a castle or build a dream castle or have some place I can go six months a year that's somewhere warm or whatever. How do I work backwards from that to achieve said goal? So I might work back and say, okay, that's only going to take me six rental properties to afford that. So how do I achieve six rental properties? I'll back that out and say, what's the work required for each of these? And I'll sort of back it out that way. And then I'll have a, a measurable, this smart goal, right? Specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and timely. Uh, that's the kind of goal you want to set one that you can actually achieve. But there's other things too that I'll, I'll often set. I'll just I'll sit down and, and track my net worth too. I'll just write down all my assets, all my liabilities, reflect on where I've been last year, give thanks and be you know, filled with gratitude for how far you know, things have come and how far, you know, how far I made it, honestly, at this point. Uh, it gets hard for me doing goal setting now because I've hit most every goal. I, I've hit my five-year goals already. For the, like, the goals, I went back and looked at my journal goals I set for myself when I was 22, 24, and I'm, I just turned 28. And I've hit almost all my goals that I had for age 29. So I'm already like a lot ahead financially. 
even um, like family-wise, uh, even some trips. There's, there are some trips I still want to take though. COVID's gotten away of that, but hopefully in 2021, you'll be seeing there'll be a lot of cool trips I'm going to be taking. So that'll be exciting. I might even... I might even indulge in some speaking opportunities. People have offered me opportunities to go to Florida and places like that to speak before, and I usually turn that stuff down. But in 2021, if I can get a free opportunity to go to Hawaii or something to speak, I'm gonna take that opportunity. Um, so that's one of the things I'm gonna be gearing up in 2021 is to focus more on content creation. I think there's a huge business there in content creation. I see people are crushing that space. I don't know if I'll, you know, with a book as an example, I don't know if I'll just give a book away or if I'll charge for it, probably I'll charge for the book and then donate a percentage of it to charity. Um, but there's, there's so much there that I could add value in and, and change lives. So that's something that for 2021 that I'm kind of thinking about. Um, there's lots of things that I'm kind of noodling on and rebalancing my portfolio is a big one, a really big one. I My rental properties do not produce the same amount of cash flows I can get from investing in, um, you know, the nice thing about investing in, in rental properties as a mortgagee, as opposed to an equity holder, is that I don't have any stress when I put a mortgage on a property. I don't have any stress when I uh, go to, I just collect payments every month. It's just passive. So lending is still a big piece of that strategy. Obviously inflation is a risk for a lender. You can bake in prime plus, so that could kind of stave off um, some inflation. You could do something like that where it flows with prime. In theory, they would raise interest rates, right, to combat inflation, but, um, yeah, I mean, I still think lending is a big piece of it as an asset class for me personally. I like the fact that I don't think that I'm going to get a better return in any other asset class than lending for the risk. Like when I can secure against a building and I can say go 75 or 80% loan to value against a building and I can get a 12 to 15, 10%, whatever return, like pick between 8 and 15, depending on how risky the deal is. And I can get that kind of return for no work. It's just, it's just the best. Um, so that's going to be a piece of my portfolio still, I think. Um, there's a huge market too for securing mortgages and then selling them too. So like I could secure a mortgage and sell that to someone. Um, so there's a lot of cool things you can do in that, in that lending space. I think that's pretty cool. And the lending fees are pretty good too for reviewing deals. You can make good money doing that. So that's something that's it's on my bucket list for something I want to take down and, and challenge. I want to fund deals. I think that'd be cool to be involved as a, a funder of the deal as opposed to the active person. I want to be the passive money partner on deals. So that's something that I'm kind of gearing up to do in 2021. My own personal goals. Um, yeah, I know. I, I think that it comes down to just revisiting your net worth. If, if that's your goal is to like raise net worth, which I think in the journey to fire, all that matters is cash flow and net worth. And the two are inverses of each other. All you're missing is the rate of return, right? Um, so I think it's big to look at, you know, what you're spending, what you're earning, um, you know, what your net worth is and then the rate of return on your portfolio and kind of analyze that and look for ways to optimize. That's, that's the best financial thing you can do when it comes to those other goals. 75 hard is a big thing I'm gonna be doing in January. So gear up for that. Anyone wanna do 75 hard with me? I'm gonna be doing it hardcore. I'm gonna be doing the 45 minute indoors, 45 minute outdoor activity per day, drinking lots of water, doing the 10 pages of uh, nonfiction self-help learning material each day. Um, taking the, the progress picture and just, just getting shredded and the best uh, best of my health that I can be in, right? Right now, I'm already in pretty good shape and I already do intermittent fasting, so the diet thing will not be a huge difference for me, but uh, I'm excited for that goal too. And there's some other, some other family stuff that I want to achieve and some mental stuff that I want to achieve and yeah, those are my goals. Setting goals are important and I think there's something to be said about saying them out loud and being accountable 
So and I've just said this to you know, hundreds of people are gonna watch this video. And I just have said some of my goals, right? So now I'm accountable to achieve those. You guys go back and watch my old videos to so see some of my goals there too. And I crushed, crushed beyond what I ever thought I would be able to accomplish. So that's what the power of goal setting can, uh, can help you accomplish. AM says, my next project is something you introduced me to earlier in a different video, creating a globally diversified ETF or index portfolio for long-term compound growth. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's huge. That's what you build your portfolio. That's how you build your FIRE portfolio, right? Your financial independence portfolio is built around that. Aside from hiring a professional fiduciary, what are some DIY research resources you can recommend to help create this portfolio? Yeah, um, I mean, there's tons of YouTube content out there you can consume passively. There's podcast stuff you can listen to passively. There's courses like uh, Irwin's um, Stock Hacking, if you want to get into options trading and stuff like that. Options trading is fantastic because you can, if you want to acquire certain positions, you could just you know trade options on those positions. And then if you end up losing, you still end up just holding shares you would have owned anyway. Um, so that's always a good way to do it. But yeah, just, just consume as much as you can and learn as much as you can. If you don't have an interest in that, go buy exchange traded funds. Like go look at the Swanson Yale portfolio or like the lazy couch potato, Canadian couch potato portfolio and just copy that. And you'll probably be doing, doing all right. Our Roth IRA is the closest thing that Americans have to a Canadian TFSA. I think so. Uh, I'm not like an expert on tax law, but I think so. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Harpeet. Chris says, what should I invest in? Um, that's up to you. There's, there's so many things you can invest in, right? And I have to know what kind of person you were. I have to know um, Chris Kelly, like, you know, say crypto there. And I, I think everyone's hyped up about crypto right now and you could make some money in it. I don't know. I think that it's tough investing in a technology that could become obsolete or currency, a digital currency that could be obsolete in 10 years. We don't know. Um, there's no government backing it, right? It's just a bunch of people have decided that it has value. If a bunch of people all decided it didn't have value, it would have no value. Um, so that's something to think about when you're uh, investing in crypto. There's, it's hard to cash flow. It's not really you're investing in anything tangible. Um, I don't know. I, I think there is still a, a play there. Like if there was one digital cryptocurrency I could see that, like whether it was like some way backed by government and it couldn't become obsolete, then I could see it where it would make a lot of sense to invest in a digital currency that was backed and you could use it to fund liquidity. And so then you'd have, you'd have the ability to make some cash flow, I guess, off it by lending out the money you have in your, in your crypto. Um, but lending is like, that's aside from the crypto. You can lend with the cash you have to. You can hold Canadian currency and lend if you want to. It's just harder to lend and you aren't doing it secured with crypto. So it's just a, a worse way of lending. Like it's better to lend with CAD, I have Canadian, right? So, or USD. Uh, I prefer just to lend in those currencies, but secured, right? Against real estate or something. I, I don't know, maybe there's a way to lend. Is there a way to lend cryptocurrency against real estate? And then could you find the deals that, uh, that I could find with, with Canadian currency? I don't know, maybe. I like the idea of cryptocurrency, but I don't like the idea of the energy consumption. I'm 50-50, it's up to each person. There you go. Yeah, every person has a different trading philosophy, a different investing philosophy. Day trading crypto is very lucrative. It is also very risky. Day trading anything is very, very risky. Uh, set in your stop losses. That's the most important thing that you can do right now. Um, anything you invested in since March, 
blown up. So anyone who invests in anything is a genius, right? Just by the fact that they invested. Uh, be diversified in whatever you're touching. Just don't put it all in red. Don't bet it all on one thing. That's my advice. The only things to invest in this environment is cryptocurrency and precious metals. I disagree with that. Save your wealth and get out of the system. Jay, I disagree with that actually. Um, I think that land has a better store of value than cryptocurrency does, as an example. Uh, and land, you could have buildings on and rent out and get cash flow and house people. It has utility. If a system collapses, it is still land that you own and buildings that are housing people and paying you rent as a landlord. So there's, I like that as an asset class better. Even if you're buying land with storage units on it and renting those out, like you're getting, you're getting passive income. It's a business and you have tangible land that holds value. Land, I think, will hold value better than crypto will. It's just that everyone's obsessed with crypto right now, and so there's a, what you call a bubble. Um, whereas there's only so much land, and not everyone's obsessed with the work required to own real estate. It's a lot of work, and there's a lot of barriers to entry. It's easy to buy into crypto. It, there's a lot of barriers to entry to buying into land. But if you can, I would say, find a way to work within the system. right? And you don't have to just invest in crypto. You can invest in anything. Like, Returns of Tesla, as an example, it's one stock that I would never own uh, at its current price point. But, you know, because the price to earnings are insane, you're paying for too much speculative growth. I like Tesla as a company, don't get me wrong. I'd love to have a Tesla and I think what they're doing is great. But that stock, as an example, has returned like thousands of percent, you know, return. And that was completely risky. No one knew what was going to happen. It was a gamble. It's like you're putting all on red and on that table, right? You can do your research, but... You don't know. With land, it's like, it's it's physical, it's tangible, it's there. You can rent it out, you can get cash flow from day one. You can say, hey, I'm gonna have 25% return on my money every single year from cash flow. And you can own that. And if it doesn't appreciate, who cares? Like you're, you're in it for the stability of the cash flow. And so that's what, that's what I've always been a big investor in. And in 2021, I'm still gonna be about the cash flow. It's something that's predictable, it's something you can control, and you get the appreciation bonus. D. How to says, greetings, Mr. Wizard, greetings. Uh, I live in Brampton, land is hella expensive. That's true. The barrier to entry with buying land is expensive, but you could you know, buy into a fund that owns a bunch of buildings and you could buy into like a REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, right? And it would, like all the shares and all the REITs, all the unit holders would, would rise. If there was a hyperinflation event, they would rise, right? You get a you know six, 7% return maybe from those. So it's, it's an idea. Um, it's an idea. Let's see, respect that you're so young. Yeah, so knowledgeable in this stuff. Plandemic for sure. Check out the book, The Great Reset. Yeah, I've heard about that book a little bit. Haven't read it, but some scary stuff in there. Some scary parallels. Did you hear about an increase in capital gains percentage? Rob Hatch hadn't heard about a, an increase in capital gains percentage. Someone fill me in on that. My guess is we won't see hyperinflation unless velocity of money increases significantly. Japan has massive national debt, more than Canada, the U.S., but low inflation for 40 years. There you go. So it might be about velocity of money increases. I don't know if we'll be into an environment like that or not. He clarifies and says, I meant debt relative to GDP. Okay, see so what you're saying. So yeah, again, it's about production, right? So if we don't bounce out of COVID... And that's what everyone's hoping for, right? That's why we haven't experienced like hyperinflation is because people think that the economy is going to rebound. And I think it will too. I hope it does. Then we don't go into hyperinflation. 
you can margin trade on crypto link. Good evening, Andrew. How you doing? Thanks for the comment. Nish says, hi, Mike. Hi, Rob. Hi, guys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Nish. Classic man life style says, when you talk about land, are you also investing in raw land? No, for the most part, I'm investing in land with buildings on it. Uh, the problem with land is it's hard to cash flow. You can rent it out if it's like farmland, I guess. You could lease it out and it would sort of cover itself. But the rate of return on farmland is very low. It's like a 3 4% return. Whereas with a building on it, you can get a 20 25% return uh, on your money, potentially. So if you use leverage. Next question. Opinion on borrowing 20% plus rental costs to complete a burr and then paying it off as a snowball method for someone with little capital. Seems scalable but dangerous if the ARV isn't there. Yeah, that'll be my only um, cautionary warning would be if you're taking on a burr project and you don't know what you're doing and you get into a renovation over your head and you borrowed all the money and it's more than you, let's say the renovation's double what you planned for it to be and you run out of money halfway through, a burr is a huge fail if you don't have a deeper set of pockets to finish the work off. I've been into projects where we thought it'd be a $50,000 renovation, it ends up being 90. We ran into all the problems in the walls and all of a sudden it wasn't 4,000 for electrical budget, it's 10,000 now. And the plumbing is supposed to be 4,000, but now it's 10,000. And the framers screw you instead of 5,000, that's 10,000. They do all the drywalling too, right? And they, they up their price partway through. If you don't pay it, they won't finish. And so yeah, you're stuck with either a lot more holding costs because it takes too long or you're stuck with uh, paying the higher price to get it done faster. So yeah, in, in my experience, burrowing without any of your own money is risky, unless you're sure, sure, sure of the numbers. Like you better be sure it's a one and a half burr before you take it on. And so that means you gotta find a really good deal. It might make more sense to find a burr and pass it to someone who has capital and wholesale it for an assignment fee. I've seen wholesalers also do percentage of profit. It's a cool way to do it too. You can say, hey, I got the deal here. It's a great burr. I don't have the money to do it. Here it is. I'll give it to you, but instead of a wholesale fee, give me 30% profit. Or maybe just take a wholesale fee. If you need cash, take the wholesale fee. I've seen so many people get screwed on trying to split on profit that it makes more sense to take a fee up front, I think. Especially people you don't know or trust. Let's see. Have you seen any evidence for deflation? Uh, deflation. I, I'd have to go look. I'd have to go look. I don't have any concrete data in front of me. I think current technology makes things deflationary. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true with like phones and things like that and some of the tech. It's just my opinion, but I feel if we measured it, okay, we did that question already. I think I'm gonna live forever too, Mike. Costa Rica, La Pura Vida. Yeah, the beach life, enjoying that good life. Question in Albertian, one million dollar house. Here's a single family home with a jacuzzi. <laughs> I think that depends on where you're looking within Alberta. I've seen exceptions to that rule, but yeah, I mean, the prices are probably going pretty crazy out there, too. I'd assume there's a sweet scent when you rub the money together of the inks and polymers. That we did that question. That's good. That's why they smell like maple syrup, maybe. What would you suggest to a young man getting into property? Uh, educate yourself. The most important thing you can do before you get started is educate yourself. Partner with someone who's done this before a few times and learn, learn from them. Run your numbers, be sure of your numbers. Tudor said, uh, do you see any kind of correction in 2021 in housing or stocks? It seems like we're in an everything bubble. Everything 
is an all-time high and once the dollars from COVID relief ends, what happens? Yeah, I mean, it, it, we are at all-time high, but if you look at, you know, relative to what you could buy a year ago, I think, I think we've already experienced some inflation in some categories with COVID. I, I think that we're gonna see, like I was just at the restaurants the other day and like restaurants are way up in price and they're saying it's because of COVID they've increased their prices. Do you think after COVID they're gonna drop their prices? I don't think so. Um, I've seen price increases in a whole bunch of places. So I think we've already experienced a bunch of inflation. Houses, as an example, this year in London, Ontario, up 30%. So in my area, we've seen a lot of inflation. Even at the grocery store, I'm seeing some things are up in price. So we've seen some inflation already this year alone. Um, it's all relative, right? Like if, if everyone who owns a home has 30% appreciation on their house, all of a sudden everyone just got a whole bunch, like a couple hundred thousand dollars extra. Everyone's got all this money to spend. And so what happens when there's an excess money of money to spend, the price of things goes up because there's only so much supply of those things. And if there's increased money, then there's increased demand. So basic math would say that uh, prices would increase, right? But um, not every city is experiencing the same thing as London. I think in London, we're seeing a bit of inflation. Although places like Toronto, we've seen from the condo market, rents have gone down, right? So that would be, a, that would be evidence of deflation or at least evidence of decrease of demand as people move out of the major metropolitan areas. So that would be an example. Rent is a big percentage of the average person's budget. It's like a third of what minimum average, a third of what people spend is their housing. And so if rents are in the major cities are going down right now in New York and Toronto and places like that, then there's argument that the consumer price index could actually show a drop, right? We could have a bit of deflation, but that would just be people redistributing the wealth as people move out of the major cities and live in suburbs and small cities. Goal for 2021, tune into the Wise Wealth Show every week, the Mike Rosehart Show and increase financial literacy. I like that. I like that, Jimmy or Joe. Um, for everyone who's watching right now, smash that like button. If you didn't smash it, then you didn't give me a clap. You didn't say, hey, thanks for, for presenting right now. So if you're watching this and you haven't smashed the like button, come on, hit that like button. Just gently tap it for me. It would mean a lot. Thank you for those couple that just popped in. It, it does mean a lot. And if you're watching the replay, hit the like button. You know, if you want to jump in the comments and, and drop anything and say something, it means something. It just means that you watch the video, you engage in it. it. gives me a reason to jump in the comments and engage with you as well. And always follow me. As always, follow me on Instagram, at Mike Roseheart. So, yeah. Next question. I lost my spot. Oh, found it. Mitchell says, still have the Florida mansion or did COVID wreak havoc on that plan? It had, we, we do have it. Uh, it's up for sale. It has wreaked havoc on that plan, most definitely. Um, the Airbnb short-term market for Disney is not what it was before. Uh, yeah, so I mean we had to pivot and rent it out. So we're breaking even. We have it rented out and it's, you know, like I forget what we rented out for 5,000 a month plus utilities, I believe. So we have a kind of a deal going on with that. And it's, it's making sense uh, as a, like we're not, it's not losing money, but um, yeah, I mean, obviously COVID has done you know, damage in a big way to the tourism industry, especially in Florida. So yeah, when things don't go as planned, you pivot and um, it's fine. We're not, Losing money, at least. Is that something? Liz loves life. What do you think about pre-construction properties for 2021 in the GTA or beyond? I've always been a fan of pre-construction. I did one in 2014, 2015. I think that um, 
the nicest thing about a pre-construction is that if you actually can close it, you put up such a small deposit and you have a control of a big asset. So let's say you're buying a $500,000 property. Often the builder only asks for $20,000 down deposit and you'll have a year to close on it while they build it. And at the end of the year, almost always they've been through multiple phases. They've been through um, price increases along the way and there's been market appreciation. So if you believe that the market will continue to appreciate, which <clears throat> I do, um, I think it would make a lot of sense to put $20,000 down and lock in, um, lock in what, uh, lock in what profit you can for such a small amount down. I've seen people do $500,000 properties after a year worth six fifty, and they put $20,000 down. So if they made 150 grand, then they assign the contract before it closes. So they just assign it to someone else for 150 grand. And so their $20,000 just became 150. And so that's an amazing return on investment. And they didn't have to put any carrying costs, nothing. They didn't even have to close on it. They assigned the contract before the closing date. So someone else had to finance it and deal with actually all the tangible stuff. They just flipped the paper. So if you want to flip paper, I think the best way to flip paper for appreciation is to do the new build pre-construction. Definitely. If you believe in appreciation, don't go buy land or go buy a building and hold on to it and break even on cash flow and then sell it in a year. Just do pre-construction condos, pre-construction um, houses and sell the contract. Now you gotta be a little bit connected or you know call a bunch of realtors to flip the contract, but someone out there is gonna buy that contract off you. So yeah, pro tip. Um, what else can I tell you guys? What's the next question you guys had? Um, next question is, I was listening to a psychology podcast and the psychologist said the best thing you can do for a goal is to have an outsider hold you accountable. Totally true. Totally true. I like the idea of cryptocurrency, but I don't like the energy consumption. We did that question. We talked about day trading and how risky that is, especially crypto. Uh, Rage Nerd says, I think many people jump to crypto because the investment has a low barrier to entry. True. It does. Whereas real estate has higher barriers to entry. Uh, the time it takes to generate enough wealth to invest in real estate kills it for many people. This is true. Yeah, although there are ways to invest in real estate without having a lot of money. Like you can invest in a real estate investment trust or you can do some lending. Uh, a REIT would, you can buy a REIT unit for like a hundred bucks and it's as accessibly traded as cryptocurrency. So you can invest in real estate and get passive returns, get all that appreciation, assuming the fund managers manage the real estate properly, but usually they do. Mike says, what's considered a good average cash flow per door after refinance with a property located in London or Hamilton? Mike, um, you know, I, I think it depends on the type of property. Like if you're looking at a student rental or a C-class rental or a B-class rental or an A-class rental, by that I mean like, are you looking at a, a luxury condo that's really easy to manage? Or are you looking at like a rooming house or like a four unit building with like the worst tenants possible? Because the worse the tenant profile, the more stress, the more work, the lower class the building, the higher the return you should expect um, in cash flow, right? Because it's more work. So it just depends on on that. But um, I don't know. Between 100, it's such a wide, $100 a door was like a, a number that was thrown around pretty often. Um, so it depends on how many doors you have, I guess. But uh, I've seen $100 a door to $500 a door to $1,000 a door thrown out. If you're doing like a student rooming house, some people get like a thousand bucks a unit. I've seen as well. So it just depends on the type of property.
let's consider it a good average cash flow. We did that question. So the next one is Zoe's. Crypto was only made after 2008 to remove the bank as the middleman, as a decentralized form of currency. I think the reason people may consider crypto over Canadian, as an example, is because they may not have trust in the banks. Fair enough. I mean, I think that Canada has a lot of rules in place that prevent a banking disaster in 2008 like the U.S. had. Although Canada didn't really have that same sort of disaster, so there shouldn't be the same allure for Canadians. But I get like the... Um, some of the illegal uses of crypto and how that could be valuable, um, where that kind of came into place. People who didn't trust the system. There are better ways to park your money, I think, where um, you can get similar amounts of liquidity to crypto. Marco says, where to totally invest $100,000 passively, getting 4% to 5% returns so I keep traveling the world. Marco, um, lend it out, like find someone like me and lend it to them, security against their properties and get a return that's like more than 5%, you probably like 8% or 9% pretty safely, maybe even 10%. Secure against real estate, so you're safe. Get a couple of buildings, secure against them. And then if anything happens, a downturn, if there's any default interest payment, you just take the buildings and you fire sale them because you don't care. The investor would lose their down payment well and all their equity in the property before you'd lose any money. So that would be a place that I would say park it and forget it. It's safer than a REIT because with a REIT, you're the equity portion. So they have, the REIT already has a bunch of debt. And if the real estate market goes down or they default, then you lose all that money as a REIT holder. You're in the equity position. You'd prefer to be in the debtor position, right? Because you're secured your payback first and you take the least amount of risk. Es equity is risk. So uh, I would say securing it as, as debt, be a, basically a mortgage guy and just collect. If you have a million bucks, you can get, on a million bucks, if someone secured a million bucks against my properties, I'd pay them, was that 80, 80 grand a year, pretty safely. So there you go, 80, 90 grand a year. Zoe says, I think that the blockchain technology is going to really change lending since you can cut out the middleman and deal straight with the lender. Potentially, um, potentially. Although what you'll find is that when people are lending between individuals, they charge each other a lot more. It, and when you lend through a bank, it's really cheap because the bank has cheap money. Most people, they've worked too hard for their money to give it away at 2%. But yeah, you're right, it is gonna change things in a big way and we're gonna see more peer-to-peer -peer lending and, and that sort of thing. That already exists now, like there already is peer-to-peer -peer lending where you can lend in Canadian to someone else and there's a peer-to-peer -peer website that takes a small fractal percent of the return. So that already exists. Any value in using robo-advisors for someone new to investing? Not sure how they get started. Um, yeah, there's huge value in using a robo-advisor. Like Wealth Simple, you're in Canada, is an easy one that's relatively affordable to use that will do everything for you. Set it and forget it. I bought OCGN yesterday, 12,948 stocks for 52 cents a share and sold it for 275 today. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, yesterday to today to get that kind of growth. Um, <laughs> jam in the eye of a Taurus. Taurus, that's cool. My wife's a Taurus. Um... That's amazing, by the way. That's a fantastic, uh, sounds like you made a bunch of money. There's lots of places you could invest that, but I would definitely not take it, take all that profit and throw it into a penny stock. Probably take, uh, take your initial investment back, save it, and then play with the profit and maybe do some cool trades with that. Don't trade it all in one stock. As always, from Hawaii for the brain food, Merry Christmas. Hey, no problem, ma'am. Happy to help. Mike, if you're investing in London, how far would you go time-wise to invest in? Is property management more important or finding the deal? 
Um, so I guess the first part of your question is how far would you go to invest? For me personally, I would just, I would take a lower return and be investing in London as opposed to going to other markets. That's just me. I like the fact that I can touch and feel my properties that they're close by that I know the market. I'm a master of my current market. So that's why I don't venture out too much. That said, I'm taking out a couple of deals in Sarnia right now. So um, where it makes sense and it's within an hour's driving distance for me is kind of like the, the threshold. I also have in-laws that live in Sarnia. I kind of grew up in Sarnia area. So that's kind of the distance that I'm, I'm willing to go. But uh, what's more important, definitely I would say finding the deal is way more important than, uh, definitely way more important than property management. Property management's a dime a dozen. There's tons of property managers. Even I've had good property managers that were good for a while and then decide to hate it and stop being good at it again. So that one's one that like, it's, it's, not, it's low value work. There's, there's no one who makes $1,000 an hour who's doing property management, period. It's only low value. Like it's like a $20, $30 an hour type of job um, being in property management. So as people become more wealthy, they pivot out of property management almost always. So I would say um, being a good executor, a good manager is attractive to a money partner. Uh, it's definitely a, a big piece of it. Beyond just property management, there's actual rental management and strategic value add. That part is valuable. Uh, having the vision and the ability to execute on that vision is valuable. But the deal is, I'd say, more valuable in this market, in a hot market, than in a cool market, it might be the opposite. The executor might be more valuable, but I would say definitely the deal is more important. But the two together, mad powerhouse. If you're a hardworking individual who's got the vision and the ability to execute on it and you've got to like, hook up for deals, money will just come to you. Like, if you're one of those people, reach out to me. I will fund your deals. I get lots of money. I have seven figures I can throw towards deals. I'll happily become an equity partner with you or even just be a mortgage lender and lend the money out to you. So put my money where my mouth is on that one. Next question is, what happened to your medical company in Toronto? So Leventhal, it still is actively doing well. Um, things are growing and going well. Um, I'm, I'm planning to exit that. Um, we're still working through, I don't even know if I can talk about it, but a buyout there. So I can't even, I can't talk about the details, but um, bought out on that. So uh, I'm here in Edmonton, Alberta. Housing here is annoying to invest in. Most of it is new development builders. Older housing is being bought up in droved for infill. Yeah, I heard you knock the first time. Okay, I gotta end this stream, I guess. Um, I don't know much about Alberta, to be honest. Um, Trump to win 2020, I don't know. Um, I, it doesn't really matter that much either way to me at this point. I think I, I like Trump more than I like Biden, to be honest, but um, sorry, I don't like Trump, but I like his policy and the way that he sort of um, governed as opposed to I think how Biden's going to govern. But that's just a policy thing. Now, what are some strategies to acquire five plus properties? It's getting difficult to find financing with the lenders. Um, go to Scotiabank, they do 10 or more. I gotta go, my daughter's knocking on the door. Merry Christmas, everyone. Have a good day. I'll, uh, I'll see y'all next week. Spend less, earn more, and maximize returns on the difference. Bye, everyone.